0: Welcome back to woe Is Media after an off week last week. Thank you for being patient with us. We had some very important business to attend to, i.e., Alyssa had to come visit me. True. so We <laughs> decided not to podcast so we could spend all of our time hanging out and discussing future episodes. So thank and you watching for- Blackfish, watching Blackfish, and getting dinner getting tattoos and it was a fun time so <laughs> we
1: were- wait wait clarification i got a tattoo annabelle did not but she I, held my hand correct. along with our friend hannah so yes
0: that is correct yes but it was a fun time but we are back this week and we got some cool stories for you so yes. i'm going to cover the ipo of coinbase which is a cryptocurrency trading platform um so sort of like robin hood but exclusively for cryptocurrency so we'll dive into that today And then we're also going to talk about the life and times and legacy, or lack thereof, of uh, (laughs) the infamous Bernie Madoff. (laughs) So that's, um, we'll get into
1: that a little bit. Alyssa, what
0: about you? What have you got?
1: We are celebrating the return of the Med Gala!
0: (laughs) (laughs) Fun costumes, celebrities, we love it.
1: Hell yeah, my favorite things in the entire world. Also, we are going to be going over my personal predictions for the Academy Awards that are happening next week. And we're going to get Annabelle's opinion on them and see how she feels about titles and stars that are in the movies.
0: This will be entertaining because I have seen approximately zero. Yay. On the list. So I'm going to just kind of shoot in the dark here, but that'll be fun. All right, I'll get us started. So I've called this first story coinbase to the moon question mark (laughs) um cryptocurrency seemed to be kind of one of those other investments that reddit and wall street bets and just kind of like the the meme stock community is is super interested in it's being talked about a lot wednesday coinbase went public with a direct listing on the nasdaq stock exchange so this is currently the largest cryptocurrency platform exchange by volume in the united states so this is a big deal So I'll get into kind of what cryptocurrency is and like attempt to explain that. That's, it's kind of a difficult concept, I guess, to talk about, but I'll do my best with that. Um, But a little bit about like Coinbase specifically as a company, its users are primarily dealing in Bitcoin, which I think everybody is at least familiar with to some extent. That's kind of like the biggest, most popular form of cryptocurrency. Coinbase was founded by Brian Armstrong in 2012 um and kind of the reason they decided to go public at this time was there has been a huge surge recently in interest in cryptocurrencies and like dealing in bitcoin and like other forms of cryptocurrency it's just been super popular because of communities like wall street bets and the stock meme community and just in general it's kind of a hot commodity right now it's something people like don't totally understand but they're interested in learning more about so there's been a big surge in that. And that's kind of why there's been a spike in users on Coinbase. Um, They're up to 56 million users, which is pretty impressive. um, Given how young of a company they are and given how cryptocurrency is like kind of a newer form of an asset that people are kind of trading. Um, So they've had a 30% jump. Revenue in the past quarter has been up nine times (laughs) what it previously (laughs) was. It's up to 1.8 billion. So. Okay, they have so to- more money than I'll ever see in my lifetime. Cool. Well, as the case for most of us, but uh, yeah, <laughs> and they made seven hundred and fifty million in profit already. Generally, when companies IPO, not always, but a lot of times, especially tech companies. And this isn't exactly a tech company, but it definitely has that technology component to it because it's an online trading platform. Those companies like are very rarely profitable when they go public. A lot of times, that's like. The purpose of it is to raise capital so they can continue funding operations with the hope to become profitable. Mm -hmm. Coinbase is already there, 750 million in profit already. So they're rolling in it. Um, Make it rain. Make it rain, yeah. Make it rain with your uh, virtual coins here. (laughs) So I'll talk a little bit about their business model. So they are a cryptocurrency brokerage. So they charge fees and spreads to kind of facilitate the trades of Bitcoin or other forms of cryptocurrency on their platform. Um, And they offer proprietary cold storage is what they call it. So it's basically just like a bank account for your crypto coins. It's like where they, they sit when you're not using it. Um, And it has really intense security all offline. So like people can't hack it or steal it or anything like that. Um, It's very safe. It's probably safer than an actual bank, to be honest, because it's, you know, encrypted. So, and there's no physical asset. So and they make their money by cryptocurrencies doing well. So basically, the higher the trading platform, or excuse me, the higher the trading volume on their platform, the more money Coinbase is going to make. So if demand for Bitcoin and other forms of cryptocurrency is able to stay high, Coinbase is going to continue to make money. Um, but a lot of people kind of believe that the current levels are not sustainable. A lot of people see, you know, potentially a cryptocurrency bubble, or maybe it's just a trend and not necessarily something that is gonna last forever or stay popular forever. Um, But there's people on the other side of the coin, Uh, (laughs) bear with me with that pun, sorry, couldn't resist.
1: Uh,
0: There's people on the other side of the coin you think cryptocurrency is gonna end up being kind of the new norm. And as more and more businesses start to accept it, people will really have like no choice but to start investing in it and trading it and things of that nature. So the current, I guess, future predictions for coinbase and like how popular it will continue to be kind of range all over the place so it'll be interesting to see what happens but what does this mean for the cryptocurrency market in general it's kind of a validation of that space like this is the first you know ipo for something of this nature so it's really cool for everyone who is interested in all this stuff to see that go public and you can make an investment in a cryptocurrency exchange so it kind of offers that validation um, and maybe kind of offers a clue that this will potentially be something a little bit more regular for investors everywhere. And it's not just going to become like a niche thing that nobody understands.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: In opening trading, it was briefly worth as much as $100 billion.
1: Oh.
0: Uh, the stock price almost went to the moon, really, on that first day. Um, it's come down a little bit, but there's kind of, you know, Benson fears about volatility and assets and regulatory uncertainty. Like people still can't fully wrap their head around cryptocurrency and what it means and how to value it. Congress hasn't even touched it yet because I don't think they understand it. They have other fish to fry right now. True. But um, I mean, Coinbase is a big deal. It holds eleven point three percent of the world's crypto assets. So that's that's quite large. And its current valuation is 65 billion. So it's very, very much a unicorn, (laughs) a 65 times over unicorn. Remember, a unicorn is a private company with a valuation of a billion or higher. It was focused on kind of building a crypto economy. That's sort of like why they decided to build this platform. Um, And they wanted to have like a transparent financial system that was kind of enabled by cryptocurrency that leverages crypto assets and digital assets using blockchain. So I'll get a little bit more into the granular details in the next minute or so, but it kind of offers retail users an account to invest, store, spend, and earn their cryptocurrency. So that's just a little bit more about how they work. Um, And it's kind of exciting to see the crypto companies sort of make their debut in the public market just because it's so new. We've never seen that before. And it's kind of offering sort of a gateway to the mainstream world. I mean, Alyssa, are you familiar with, like, Bitcoin or any sort of cryptocurrency at all?
1: Very briefly, I do know that there was a form of cryptocurrency, I believe, that was making the rounds in the news this week called Dogecoin. (laughs) (laughs) Yep.
0: I'm familiar with that. (laughs)
1: Mm -hmm. But other than that, not really anything off the top of my head, no.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, it's very, like nebulous almost like even digging into the details of kind of how all this stuff works like i was getting kind of confused like this isn't something they taught us in college finance so if you'll if you'll bear with me here with the details i'll kind of dig a little bit into how this works so i'm mainly just going to talk about bitcoin because that's like the most popular and most highest valued cryptocurrency and i think that's the one that at least everybody's heard of Mm -hmm. but bitcoin operates off a system called blockchain and what blockchain is It's a shared public ledger that the whole Bitcoin network relies upon. Mm -hmm. So all like confirmed transactions, like so trading between different Bitcoin users, if a transaction happens, I'm gonna buy this from you for X amount of Bitcoins. It's all publicly recorded on this ledger, but it's completely anonymous. So each transaction is encrypted and just has like a confirmation number. So everything is tracked, but nothing is like, like you can't trace it back to specific users. Okay. Just if you were looking at the ledger. So in what's recorded, the Bitcoin wallets will like have their updated balances. So like if you were to go to a coffee shop and swipe your credit card, it would subtract that amount from your debit account or your credit account. It would show up as a charge. It's the same thing with Bitcoin. It's just kind of reflected into the wallet after you make the transaction. And then it's also duplicated on the blockchain. Okay. So blockchain is enforced with something called cryptography. And that basically creates like, this is super granular, but it creates a mathematical proof that provides high levels of security. I had, I do not understand the mathematics behind it. I did not dig much into that, but in short cryptography is like already something we work with. It's in online banking, it's in a lot of e-commerce. It just kind of provides that level of security to kind of make the transactions like not sketchy and make sure no one can hack them or you know manipulate them or anything like that. And it makes it impossible to spend someone else's Bitcoin. So that's kind of one of the attractions of this asset is it's extremely, extremely secure. So you're never gonna have anybody like stealing your assets or anything like that. And a lot of people are scared of that because it is completely on the internet and there's no physical asset or anything like that. Um, But yeah, no, it makes it impossible with the encryption to steal someone else's funds or kind of corrupt the blockchain. So the transactions are also recorded in Bitcoin wallet with a secret data point, which is called a private key. And this is kind of used to sign the transactions and have proof that they've come from the wallet's owner. So nobody can make like unauthorized transactions or anything like that. I mean, I think there's a lot of like, you know, fear about people having their identity stolen or like their credit cards stolen and having all these unauthorized charges and stuff on it. That's completely like not an issue here,
1: which is pretty good.
0: Yeah, it's very cool to have that kind of next level of security. And transactions are then confirmed in the blockchain through a process called mining. So, and they're all kind of filed chronologically. So it's just this ongoing like chain blockchain. uh,
1: It makes a lot of sense now because I always hear the term mining for Bitcoin. And I'm like, why are we necessarily going down to the mine shaft with the seven dwarves? Like I never understood (laughs) that.
0: That's exactly what it looks like. Yeah. <laughs> Bumpy with this pickaxe. Yes, exactly. That like That's that. what I picture. <laughs> so there's other cryptocurrencies that are you know, currently available to trade. Some other examples are Ethereum, Stellar, Ripple, Cardano, Litecoin, Bitcoin Cash, NEM, IOTA, EOS, and as Alyssa just re- referenced, uh, Dogecoin. I'm sure the Shiba Inu is their mascot. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> Bitcoin is definitely the most popular. Um, it is currently one Bitcoin, one singular Bitcoin is worth $63,539.91. Uh Oh, yeah, it's a lot of money. So, I mean, you could um, you can make like a down payment on a house or you could have a Bitcoin,
1: you know. <laughs> I'm just like so confused right now because I thought like this was like, I don't know. I I always equated Bitcoin to like PayPal because I am not a uh, financier, uh, financial type of person. And I was like, oh, it's like PayPal. But yeah. I'm, I'm realizing quickly that I was sorely mistaken.
0: I mean, it's really just like any other currency, like the dollar or the pound or the yen or anything. The one. Like- it, right. It has its own value and the value fluctuates in conjunction with other currencies and things like that. But you don't have to deal in full Bitcoin. So you basically like you can have fractions of Bitcoins. They're divided into smaller units called Satoshis. Um, and this represents 100th million, one hundredth one one hundredth million of a Bitcoin. So they basically like you don't have to have one Bitcoin (laughs) because that's obviously a lot of money. Not everybody has.
1: I was about to say, I don't think I could afford just one. No, most
0: people can't. Yeah, but it's still, that's the point of the satoshis. it's like a smaller unit to deal in. Um, So my personal take on Bitcoin, if anybody's asking. um, Yes, I I am personally. So I think it's got a lot of potential. I love the security aspect of it. I think- Especially with Coinbase now becoming public and it's something that's going to be covered in the news media and going to be discussed more heavily. I think Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are going to become more mainstream, but I do think it needs to become like more above ground so kind of common investors are able to access it and understand it. I think like right now, a lot of people like over the internet will deal in Bitcoin um, or other cryptocurrencies. They're like, oh, I'll like send you this for one Bitcoin. And it just, I don't want to say it seems sketchy, but if more mainstream businesses like your local coffee shop or your gas stations or your grocery store, like the places people are going every day, if those types of businesses are going to start accepting cryptocurrency, then I definitely think like, will be in a good spot with that. I think more people will use it. But I think so long as like niche businesses or things that exclusively operate over the internet and there's no like physical commerce happening, I I don't think it'll go away, but I do think it'll kind of continue to struggle to make its like imprint with kind of mainstream people. So we'll have to see what happens, Um, but I definitely think Coinbase will kind of help get them more acclimated in the mainstream and hopefully, you know, this story can help people understand it a little bit more. And if not, I would not recommend investing in something you don't understand.
1: <laughs> That's why I have personally stayed away from it. Yeah,
0: um, I, uh, I would also kind of encourage a little bit of caution investing in meme stocks. I think they're fun. Um, and if you understand the business or if you have done your research and you genuinely think there's a lot of upward potential for this company. Yeah, by all means, buy some shares, but go for it. I think there's a lot of, um, a lot of hype and a lot of pop and circumstance around things that are not necessarily sustainable. So I would just urge caution with that. Do your research before you buy into anything. Yes. So that's kind of all I have on, uh, on Coinbase here. We'll, we'll see if they keep going to the moon. 65 billion is pretty big valuation.
1: Oh
0: yeah, it is. Um, so, you have any questions on that before I move to Bernard Madoff?
1: Not really. I think he pretty much covered it and like, summarized everything that I was skeptical or not educated about so I thank you for that. No, oh, thank you.
0: Thank you, <laughs> thank you for listening. <laughs> of course. All right. So moving into story number two, the lives and times of Bernard L. Madoff. So what'd the L stand for? Dang it. I'll I'm look sure. it up. I'll look keep going baby. You're um, doing great. That was the name of his business. I didn't look up what his um middle initial stood for, but for those of you who don't know, Bernie Madoff, he died in prison on Wednesday at age 82. And he is important because he ran the largest investment fraud in U.S. history. That's a big deal.
1: That's a big old deal. Also, it was Lawrence. Lawrence, thank you. Which could have probably problem. been assumed because it's a white man. But, you know, we always got to check. We got to yes, fact he's check.
0: Jewish, so,
1: yes. you never know. Yes. <laughs>
0: So the largest investment fraud in U.S. history, it was a Ponzi scheme, and I'll get into kind of the details of how that works, but it was as large as $65 billion, and he ran this thing for over 40 years.
1: A big spender!
0: A big spender with, who just was defrauding people for decades. I mean, if it weren't so like morally wrong, I would be impressed.
1: Honestly, I, I, I agree with that. Like, it's like, if you weren't such of a trash human being, I would applaud your financial and your business skills.
0: Yeah, but no, he ripped people
1: off. Yeah, he sucks. (laughs) Yeah,
0: he absolutely sucks, but he died in, he was in prison. Um, He died of natural causes, so he wasn't like sick or, you know, nothing, nothing sketchy or scary happened, but, um, I'll dig into his biography a little bit. So, Bernie Madoff was born in Queens, New York in 1938 to a Jewish family. Uh, He started at the University of Alabama and then transferred because he, like us, realized that is not a place he wanted to be. I knew I couldn't trust him. Nope. Nope. He was a bammer for a quick minute. But no, I'm sure Alabama does not claim him as a former student um and neither does Hofstra University which is where he ended up transferring from Alabama to. which if you're born in Queens why the heck would you want to go to Tuscaloosa does that make any sense at all
1: some people that grow up in the city really just want to be able to spread their legs and I completely understand that but
0: like, their legs or spread or, their oh, legs? oh I'm
1: sorry I'm so sorry I did not mean to say that <laughs> spread your wings I'm so sorry I did not mean that, that maybe was... he did spread his legs I mean, <laughs> he he left. I don't know uh, spread your wings like you know there's more there's more area around you there's so much more to do there's more nature to mm-hmm. be around and come to terms with I've heard a lot of people that are like in the city and they're like I just want to just be around nature and just yeah. see what the small town aspect is like not deal with
0: snow yeah yeah, yeah
1: also a great
0: point <laughs> so oh gosh okay so he, so he sorry no, it was a great
1: joke I loved it <laughs>
0: Um, he transferred to Hofstra University, which is in Long Island, where he studied political science uh, with the intent to go to law school. And he did briefly attend law school. But after a while, he was like, nah, I like finance. So he dropped yeah. out of law school, decided to start his own investment firm, which was Bernard L. Madoff Investment Securities, LLC. We now know the L stands for Lawrence. Thank you, Alyssa. So started his own investment securities company. He kind of began trading penny stocks. So those are super cheap. More or less speculative stocks that a lot of people are not interested in.
1: Isn't that the same type of stock that Jordan Belfort got in trouble for? Hmm. I wonder where you got that reference from.
0: Jordan Belfort. Uh, no, I watched
1: Wolf <laughs> of Wall Street. Excuse you.
0: <laughs> no, no, I love it. Yeah, it, it is. That's. Okay. They're more speculative. Like I don't want to say sketchy because some of the companies are legitimate. They're just cheap, but um. Fair. Yeah, they're not valued very highly because a lot of people just like either aren't looking at them or don't trust the business model or whatever. But yes, that's correct. So he began as a penny stock trader and he was able to kind of grow the business through referrals from friends and family. So a lot of people who knew him were like, hey, everyone, you should invest your money with Bernie. Like, he's a smart guy. He really understands the markets. Like, he'll he'll do well with your money. So that's kind of how he was able to grow it. Feel the burn. Uh, hmm and he was an early pioneer of really implementing technology and computers to make his trades. And it really helped develop the technology that ended up becoming the NASDAQ Stock Exchange, as we know it today. Yes. So the NASDAQ has been the new, if you think about the New York Stock Exchange, it started as a place where people would physically go to, to make trades. And they would be holding up the stock certificates and being like, I sell. And there still is in-person trading to this day, but most of it is online over the computer. And the NASDAQ is a much newer stock exchange and it focuses mostly on, there's a lot of technology companies like Coinbase, which is now trading on NASDAQ. Um, But Bernie ended up becoming the first NASDAQ chairman because of his role in kind of developing that technology to use it with finance. It was kind of being used in other sectors, but he was like, no, we're gonna do this. We can make trades faster and there's more money to be made when you can execute faster, which is true. So they kind of worked as a market maker. They were directly executing orders from brokers. Um, And he was kind of the first prominent user of a business model called Payment for Order Flow we talked a little bit about this back in the Robin Hood episode. This is where you're incentivized to make more trades because you're making more money on it. Um, a dealer is kind of paying the broker for the right to execute the order. So Bernie Madoff is very much like a pioneer with that too. Hmm. So in his personal life, he married high school sweetheart, Ruth Alpern. Um, Ruth. And his, oops, that's right. And he had two sons, Mark and Andrew. So he hired his sons on to work in his business but the two of them were completely unaware of this Ponzi scheme like while it was happening.
1: Ah, nepotism.
0: Nepotism. <laughs> uh, he kept them in the dark, too. So they were not really part of the fraud.
1: Um, it, well, it was in happen- that case, I feel bad for them.
0: Yeah. No, it was happening right under their noses. Um, and it's really sad because their lives were just completely wrecked after it all came out about the Ponzi scheme. I mean, Mark, one of his sons, he decided to he couldn't deal deal with it anymore and he committed suicide on the second anniversary of his dad's arrest
1: oh my gosh oh yeah oh my god so
0: bernie was obviously not a good guy and he put a tremendous amount of like stress and anxiety and problems on his family after he was arrested and
1: found out my god just to 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 think that you're responsible for your son leaving this world like because of your actions and your greed greed I mean, he was a greedy guy. oh absolutely that is oh my goodness
0: I'm yeah, sorry right. oh. so um Mark Madoff is no longer with us Andrew and Ruth are still alive but um so a lot of this so I, I listened to this other podcast called American Scandal and they had a great five-part series on Bernie Madoff and kind of how he did this Ponzi scheme and you know how it came to be and kind of their like hypothesis was a lot of the reason behind bernie being so ambitious and wanting to make money was his father ralph Madoff. he made some pretty bad investing decisions and he bankrupted their whole family oh and they were just trying to scrape money off the walls and trying to get by for a while and i think bernie probably harbored a lot of resentment for that and he did not want to end up like his father he didn't want to be poor he didn't want to make bad decisions he wanted to be smart about what he was doing with his money and you know for a while he was I mean he really read up on finance and he understood the markets extremely well but Mm -hmm. what he decided to do was create a Ponzi scheme so I'll kind of get into the semantics of this but what a Ponzi scheme is it's something that it's an investment fraud and kind of the way it works is it's a financial fraud that lures investors and pays profits to early investors with funds from newer investors so basically if i'm running a ponzi scheme and Alyssa invested with me two years ago and then our friend hannah decides to invest with me today i would start taking some of the money that hannah invested with me and give it to Alyssa and be like oh like look at look at what you made like this is great you've made two thousand dollars off the money that you've invested with me we've done so well And that's kind of how it like continues operating is people are happy and they keep their money there because they're getting what seems like good returns and good payouts and it's like robbing your newer customers to pay your old customers basically Mm. so that's kind of the nuts and bolts of it and investors are believing that their money that they're putting into the fund is being invested in stocks bonds or like whatever asset and that they're making money off of like the increase in the value of it on the market. And that's how they think they're making money, which if you just invest in any like mutual funds or any stocks, that's how you make money. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that's, you know, that's not what's happening. A lot of times there really is no investing going on at all. It's just kind of a movement of funds. Um, And there are people who are victims of Ponzi schemes. They're completely unaware that the money comes from other other investors. but as long as you're able to kind of generate interest in your you know, fund, air quotes, um, it's going to stay plausible because new investors are going to keep coming in and you'll just keep having new money coming in where you can pay off your previous investors. Uh, yeah. As long as your investors aren't demanding full repayment, they're like, hey, I want my billion dollars back that they put in and you don't have a billion dollars because you've been shuffling it around that's when you're in trouble. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's, that's kind of what ended up happening to Bernie. So in the stock market crash of 2008, obviously everybody panicked. I mean, the market was in free fall. Um, there were people pulling out their money from investments left and right. Everybody was selling everything. And while there was nothing to sell for Bernie Madoff because there was no investments, all of the clients started to panic you know and they wanted payouts of their money because they're like hey like I'm not losing any more money like you know I'm taking my money out and I just want to sit it in cash at this point
1: point." Mm-hmm.
0: and that was that was when he knew that he was finished he couldn't keep up with it anymore the demand for repayment from investors was too much to sustain based on how many people were in the fraud and how many people wanted their money back and the, the volume of money that was owed to people. He just didn't have all that in cash. Um, and so he decided to, you know, he admitted it, basically. He came forward um, and that's that's sort of how they got him. And they, they arrested him in 2008 um, and he went to court and he was in kind of, they were debating whether or not, You know how long of a sentence it should be but just based on the number of people he defrauded i mean it was 65 billion dollars that people yeah thankfully now after all this time i've been able to get most of it has been clawed back at this point but 65 billion dollars people were out at the time um so he was hit with 150 years in prison which is effectively a life sentence yeah i mean i was something like a white collar crime I could not imagine they would put him like on death row for something like that, especially in the state of New York. But um, 150 years, I mean, he was already pretty old by the time he got arrested. So he was fully expected to die in prison. Um, I mean, and that's exactly what happened. So some potential like red flags to look for. I, I would hope no one would fall for this. But you never know, because the whole thing about Bernie was because he was the NASDAQ chairman and because he had worked up such a good reputation on Wall Street, Mm -hmm. people wanted to invest with him. Nobody really was looking for any sort of red flags. Nobody had any idea. But potential red flags that generally go hand in hand with Ponzi schemes are consistently high investment returns with little or no risk. So that's what they're going to tell you. Like, oh, we can make you at least 20% every year. Okay, that's impossible. No matter how good of a trader you are, no matter how much you follow the markets, there's just no way to guarantee that high level of return all the time. There's a little bit of luck and timing involved with investing. And just anybody who's going to guarantee you anything is probably somebody not to trust.
1: Okay, noted.
0: Yeah writing this down yeah. <laughs> and can returns cannot be that consistent either because especially right now with all this market vol- volatility it's going to fluctuate and unless you're buying and selling actively all the time it's like very much impossible to consistently beat the market um even like the best traders and hedge funds can't do it all the time so they also tend to be very secretive or complex about their strategies which is very much like what bernie madoff did i mean he was not actively telling people what they were invested in it was kind of more under the table yeah. what he did was they would kind of determine ahead of time what they wanted an investor's return to be and then they would falsify the trade statements they would basically just completely forge these trade statements about whatever stock would generate the return that they wanted for the investors and they would backdate it. And they'd be like, oh, you bought 50 shares of P&G stock on this day and it made this much money. And like, but there, there was no purchase of P&G stock going on. No actual investment was being made. They were completely falsifying everything. Um, and he had a team of people who were helping him create, you know, these, these fake trade documents, um, kind of his back office people were the ones who would help with that. So that's, that's how he got away with it for so long. People were convinced that the trade statements were legitimate when they were in fact not. And one more part to the story. So in 1999, this financial analyst named Harry Markopoulos, he was tasked with the basically research of how Bernie Madoff is so good at what he does um, okay. and how he has been able to make such a good return because he was like an icon on Wall Street. Everybody yeah, like, Bernie is the man. And he looked at it. He looked at the numbers that were reported. He did the math. It took him about 10 minutes to realize this is literally impossible, like legally and mathematically. There has to be some form of fraud going on. So Harry walked his butt over to the SEC and was like, hey, man, you got to look into this. Like, this is it's impossible. It's fraudulent. Excuse me, sir. Excuse me, sir. This man is a liar. And uh, the SEC basically laughed him out of the room.
1: Yeah. Oh, I bet. Oh, I bet Harry was feeling himself come oh, yeah. 2008. He's
0: yeah. He's published a book since then called No One Would Listen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Isn't that funny? I love it. <laughs> um, but he was kind of the first person, really publicly at least, to recognize that this, this was probably a scam of some sort. And he was, in fact, correct. And the SEC ended up doing somewhat of an investigation and they they didn't find anything. It really wasn't until the 2008 market crash where it all kind of came tumbling down for uh, Bernie Madoff here. So he went to court and tried to argue his case and he got 850 years in prison where he died on Wednesday. So... We, um, I can't say we will miss him, but it is a fun story about how Ponzi schemes work and how not to fall for them and how greedy men are not to be trusted.
1: I'm still not over. No one would listen. No one would listen.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, nobody listened and that's why he got away with it for so long. I mean, he basically claimed that the, um... The scheme started in like the mid 80s or so but a lot of people think it went all the way back to the 70s
1: all the way up
0: yeah so again it would be impressive if it weren't so terrible for his victims i mean 65 billion dollars lost he i mean he robbed everybody
1: yeah he
0: he had charities invested with him he had holocaust survivors invested with him Ah. oh people who trusted him because of his jewish heritage ellie weisel if you're familiar with him no the author of night and the holocaust survivor he not was a- ellie
1: yeah. i'm a bull. i hope ellie is beating someone's booty and in- well we're not gonna go into that
0: <laughs> bernie himself was not suffering because of his scam i mean he he was a billionaire yeah taking the money for himself i mean he had yachts he had expensive homes all over the place i mean they were living like kings uh-huh. scamming people per decade they were. so in short if an invest if somebody offers you an investment opportunity and it seems too good to be true it probably is It is. it absolutely is so don't uh don't let that happen there um a little quick sidebar here do you remember the investment scandal at UGA Alyssa that guy running the the fund out of the Fytal house yes I do Yeah. So, I mean, it can still happen even to this day with much smaller time investors or or money or people who think that they're just, they're smarter and they're going to get away with whatever they put their heart to. But um, we encourage you to be careful with where you put your money. Please. So, yeah, that's all I got on Bernie Madoff. He will not be missed. Lived to the ripe old age of 82. Died in prison.
1: That was great. I thoroughly enjoyed that.
0: I'm so glad. (laughs)
1: Okay, now it's time for me to be messy, and we're going to go over the return of the Met Gala. Annabelle, please tell me what you know about the Met Gala.
0: I know that it is a big party in the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City every year, and the tickets cost a lot of money. And the funds that are raised go back into, I think it's the Mets charity, basically about like culture and arts and stuff like that. And that there's a theme every year and celebrities go all out for it. And there's quite a fun red carpet.
1: Can you tell me who hosts it every year besides the Met? I should know this, but I can't tell you that now. It is an event that is hosted by Anna Wintour, editor in chief of Vogue. That's right. Yes, the real life Miranda Priestley. Yes. Queen Anna Wintour. Queen Anna Wintour. We love her. But yes, so every year Vogue hosts the Met Gala at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And it's actually basically an opening party for an exhibition at the museum based around fashion. So each theme that the celebrities on the red carpet are dressing for is actually what they will be seeing once they enter the museum. Okay. And this has been going on since the 1970s. It's always been a huge event. It is very well known for having great social media presence, but also... If I remember correctly, celebrities that are invited to the Met Gala are told that they are not allowed to take selfies on the red carpet. Oh, really? Interesting. That is that is prohibited. We don't do that here. We well, haven't. that's a little tacky to be honest, and that's a classy event. I understand. True, honestly, we we support. So, we went without in 2020 sadly. The theme was going to be about time, notes on fashion. And now Vogue as well as the Met have announced that about time is out of time and they are just going to scrap that idea completely and in order to open up the floor for the next Met Gala, they have actually separated the upcoming event into two parts. Okay. The first event is going to take place on September 18th, I believe is when the gala is opening and it is going to be called In America a lexicon of fashion okay get into so people
0: going to be showing up in like poodle skirts and like bell bottoms and that kind
1: of stuff well i'm glad you asked that because what they've said so far about this particular theme is it is going to represent quote modern vocabulary of american style and quote deeper associations with issues of equity diversity
0: and inclusion
1: okay yeah That's all good Yeah. It is hopefully going to have a traditional red carpet pending COVID-19 guidelines and a smaller after party. So we, we support. It also coincides with the finale of New York Fashion Week.
0: Woohoo. Okay. So all the big gurus will be in New York anyway. I'm
1: really excited about this because Fashion Week in any, any major city that it is invited to is a big deal. But New York Fashion Week is up there with like Paris, like New York Fashion Week is everything. And I'm really excited to see how, what people have seen throughout Fashion Week may be interpreted on the red carpet. I'm really excited about this. The second part is going to open on May 5th, 2022, and it is going to be called an Anthology of Fashion. Ooh, okay. Mm -hmm. And it will center around the question, who gets to be an American? Okay, so
0: they're not shying away from social issues here at
1: all. Absolutely not. We can hope that it is a very smart approach to what's going on in the world right right now. But for the second event, they have said, quote, it will explore impactful moments from fashion history and, quote, honor marginalized designers and historical icons through explorations of race and gender. Okay, cool. We're really excited. Yeah, I think
0: everybody's, like, sensitive about it.
1: Absolutely, Yeah. But I would think
0: with all the press that covers the Met Gala and all the images and everything, I don't think anybody... I think people would be very strategic about what they decide to wear.
1: Yes, I agree. Anna Wintour's Costume Center has transformed into an imaginary house for this second event, I believe. Mm-hmm. And each room... In the Anna Wintour Costume Center is what the area of the Met is called when the uh, gala is taking place as well as the exhibition. And each room is going to depict a specific emotion and feature iconic pieces from America's fashion history, which I think is just really cool idea. And to give you an idea of what this may entail, they said, quote, in the garden, which represents joy, the idea is to have a Memboucher printed floral dress with the Oscar de la Renta dress that Taylor Swift wore to the Grammys. So if you're familiar with what her outfit looked like, it was basically embroidered flowers. Actually, the whole dress was embroidered flowers and it was really beautiful. I remember when I first saw it, I was like, I did not like this look, I hate it. But the more I spent looking at it, I was like, this is a very beautiful piece. And I really liked how it tied in to the theme of the album that she was representing. Are oh, you looking it up now? Yeah. So, see, so like in the garden, happiness because mm. it's also bright colors too. Like it's not muted at all. It's very like, hello, here I am. I'm representing folklore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which
0: it has like a very
1: nature type vibe. Yes. You know, you saw the album cover. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, in talks to host the event currently this is only in talks we have no confirmed host as of yet as I've seen Amanda Gorman okay do you know who that is pulls up google (laughs) oh yes the poet laureate Yes. Yes. yes yes
0: oh we love her she's fabulous
1: we love her she's eloquent she's beautiful she also knows how to dress very well like she recently um grace the cover of vogue by herself i did see that yes beautiful beautiful stretch i forgot
0: her name for a second there
1: but she's awesome she'll do you're fine um possibly alongside her the cfda chairman tom ford okay tom ford is a very big deal in fashion he is he is huge so that's pretty much all i have for the Met Gala but i wanted to uh talk to you Annabelle personally about any notable themes in Met Gala's past or individual outfits that really caught your eye if you have any
0: my so this is when we lived together i believe Um, (laughs) this this would be when i was paying attention to it but um (laughs) it was I can't remember like the the textbook name for the theme but it was very like heavenly religious undertones like celestial like I remember Rihanna had like a halo oh
1: wait
0: if I'm thinking correctly Rihanna had like this crazy awesome outfit I'm looking it up right now but uh, I believe
1: you're referring to oh
0: she she looked like the Pope
1: Yes. So what you're referring to is 2018's Heavenly Bodies, Fashion, and the Catholic yes. Imagination, which is yes. personally one of my favorites. That's why I kind of made a face because I was like, she didn't have no stars around her head. She was dressed like the Pope.
0: Somebody had the crown. Of Blake Lively. Blake Lively?
1: Blake Lively had a crown. I, I, more, a lot of people did have like the crown kind of situation, but Blake Lively was one of my standouts from that particular... Met um, gala i also really loved cardi b she was pregnant at the time but she looked stunning of course she amazing, did amazing chadwick boseman god rest his soul that man in my opinion really amped up how american red carpets in men's fashion are portrayed and i thank him every single day for that yeah. because he did not come to play when it came to red carpets
0: yeah no absolutely not Oh, it was, um, let's see, Solange Knowles did the halo look. Looks okay. Like Her did too. Okay. Yeah, but that is the most, that's the Met Gala I think I have the most like memory of. What are your, What are some of your favorites?
1: Personally, my two favorites are Heavenly Bodies. And way back in 2015, China Through the Looking Glass, I believe was stunning. Like one of my um, most memorable looks was from Zendaya she had this huge like beautiful like afro inspired hair it wasn't all the way up like high and tight it was more outwardly Uh afroic if I if I'm saying that right I apologize if I'm not but she looks stunning Rihanna also that year I can't remember what the designer was but it was this beautiful yellow embroidered dress with this huge cape with a train. It was, oh, it was amazing. But those are my two favorites. conde Garçon from 2017 was fine, perfectly fine. I feel that in a lot of situations with the Met Gala, there needs to be a discussion with the people that are being invited about what is to be expected, because the the most recent Met Gala was camp And I believe we talked about this when we were living together. I was like, not enough people understand the concept of camp, especially Mm -hmm. not the people that were being invited. That is not a dig towards the celebrities that were invited to the 2019 Met Gala. But I just feel that if you're being invited, I really think you should do your research and understand exactly what you need to be portraying on the red carpet. And camp was just overall a letdown. Now, there were some standouts like... Billy Porter was a standout from that year.
0: Yeah, it just seemed like people were very, like, over the top. Yeah. Oh, Serena Williams. I was about to say. Yes, my tennis pl- Oh, look at her in those Nikes. Oh, my <laughs> god. Sorry. I'm a big tennis player. No, you're I-
1: fine. I love Serena. I like that outfit. Oh, Lady Gaga was a standout from camp. Because Lady Gaga herself is the definition of camp. So That's she cool. gets it. Ezra yeah. Miller got the assignment. I remember... Kendall and Kylie Jenner, they looked lovely, but to me, it wasn't camp, you know, camp. I don't claim to be a novice or a professional when it comes to camp, but what I can tell you is it's self-referential and it's almost meta in nature. Okay. You have to be able to make fun of yourself and poke fun at your surroundings and see how strange the world can be.
0: Okay. I think mine story. would be just like a money print inspired dress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To make fun of the fact that I'm a business nerd.
1: Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you get it. Exactly. It's just, Oh, Janelle Monet from camp was also fantastic. It was very art pop almost it reminded me of a drag queen that I'm a very big fan of, Monique Hart uh, from season 10 of RuPaul's Drag Race. She does a lot of stuff with like eyeballs and her fashion and pop art. And oh, Janelle yeah. Monet's look was very inspired by that. I think
0: that's a cool outfit, yeah. Exactly. The wide skirt at the hips, yeah.
1: Yes. So I am very excited about what hopefully will transform the world of fashion in the future. So here's hoping that the two Met Galas will go off without a hitch and we won't have any trouble with He Who Must Not Be Named. And yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So next up, next weekend, the Academy Awards happening. Annabelle, are you excited?
0: I'm excited. I know this is like your Super Bowl. So I've got the list of nominations pulled up right here
1: yay okay so we're gonna start from the bottom annabelle i would like your opinion on who is gonna win best visual effects
0: best visual effects this list i have is not in order so excuse me <laughs> visual effects okay let's see we got love and monsters yes the midnight sky mulan the one and only ivan and tenet all right i'm gonna go with mulan solely because it's the one i'm most familiar with
1: okay what is your thought? I have Mulan for, if my favorite doesn't win, I think it's going to go to Mulan. I have a lot of reservations about the live-action Disney uh, Mulan feature, just because of all the controversies that surrounded that film when it was being made, so I wouldn't like it to go to that film, but... I personally think it's going to go to Tenet just because it's a Christopher Nolan film. He's very well known for his visual effects and how well he brings the story to coincide with an imaginatory kind of landscape, if you will. And the most things I've heard about Tenet are like how stunning it is visually and how you're not going to expect what's going to happen at the very end of it. So there
0: we go for tenet. All right. I think that's a solid guess based on what you said. I've seen a few Christopher Nolan movies and yet visually they are always very, yes, very yes. impressive.
1: Yes. Yes. And he's won before in best visual effects. So, mm-hmm. it, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> just because you won before doesn't mean you're more guaranteed to win in the future, but you know, take into account. Okay. Best costume design.
0: So we have Emma. We have Miss Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, excuse me, uh, Mank, Mulan, and Pinocchio. So Emma was about Jane Austen type period piece, right? That was Anya Joy Taylor.
1: Yes, queen.
0: So I love a good period piece. So I'm
1: going to go with that one. Cool. Okay, so I personally would really like to see Ma Rainey's Black Bottom win just because I really enjoyed the costume design that was in that film. Mm -hmm. I also do have an idea that Mank might win just because of Amanda Seyfried's wardrobe alone in that film. Mank is a weird case for me because... It, it's, it's a great film, but I almost feel like it's an Oscar bait film that is just nominated in so many different categories and it may not actually secure a win. If that I makes sense. So. Yeah. So, But Emma, you know, I'd be fine with winning too. These are just the top two that I think of. Okay,
0: best film editing. Okay, so the nominees are The Father, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal and The Trial of the Chicago 7. All right. Just based on my feminist bias for pretty much everything Nomadland is nominated for, I would like to pick that one because I want Chloe Zhao to get all the awards that I think she deserves. Yay!
1: Okay, so I personally would really like to see Promising Young Woman take this one home just because the trailer alone for this film, in my opinion, deserved... An award because when you come out with a violin cover of toxic by britney spears oh no you have captured my attention oh okay.
0: yeah me too i gotta look this
1: up oh absolutely you've never seen promising young woman no man oh! my god i thought you had Oh my goodness. Are you going to disown me now? Are you going to find a new co-host? Yep. Bye. <laughs> Gotta go. Uh, but it's a great film. And the editing is also reflected in the actual film. Not just the trailer. It, it it holds through throughout. But I will say I could see Sound of Metal taking it. Because Sound of Metal itself is a movie about music. Right. And Whiplash in the past, I could see it taken it home. Because music films are really known for their editing as well as their sound obviously like i believe bohemian rhapsody took home best sound as well as best film editing a few years ago so i could see it you know coming in here and just taking hold of things best makeup and hairstyling
0: makeup and hairstyling this is a fun category okay nominee are emma hillbilly elegy marini's black bottom Mank, and pinocchio So based on what you said with the costumes for Mank, this could be potentially a good contender for makeup and hairstyling too, if they were just like all around kind of focused on the look of their cast. So Mm -hmm. I'll
1: go with Mank for this one. Okay. So I would really like to see Ma Rainey's Black Bottom take this one home also because not only just in Viola Davis's makeup, but I felt that um, her young lover, I cannot remember the actress, actress's name, but she's stunning and she looks great as well as with uh, the male actors in the film. I thought it was a really great take, but I would not be upset if Emma came in clutch because I feel that the makeup and asylum was also great, so... But, you know, Mank, I'm not mad about either. I guess we'll see. I guess we will. (laughs) Best cinematography.
0: Okay, Alyssa, can you please enlighten me on the definition of cinematography before I make a So, let
1: me get you an actual definition before I make a fool of myself. (laughs) I look it up and it's like, the art of making motion pictures. Thank you, Google. Uh, (laughs) Basically, it's photography and filming in motion pictures and just means like light sensitive, such as like film stock. And you use a lens to focus reflected light from objects into a real image that is transferred through like the lens of the camera. And it just makes it, you know, you deal with like exposures and it's m- more about the science and the business of filmmaking rather than like the enjoyable process. Okay. So it's down to the science of it. But I've always been able to define cinematography by being like, look at this, you know, like, look at that, that cinematography, if that makes any sense. If like you it's- see it and then like describe it. Exactly. Okay. So, I'm sorry, I was not any help in that regard. <laughs>
0: no no i mean i I think that is helpful i mean this seems like one of the more like detail oriented like granular categories for sure um i'll guess judas and the black messiah for this one
1: then okay cool so i think mank could take it because Mank is a black and white film Mm -hmm. about like the 1940s and the making of citizen kane which is also about um movies you know it's a movie about making a movie so I could see them really being into that but I also think that Nomadland has a very great shot at taking cinematography home because Chloe Zhao knows a thing or two about cinematography and while the storyline of Nomadland did not capture my attention as much as it maybe could have it was beautiful it was absolutely stunning best production design
0: so does this kind of have to do with like I don't want to say like the stage because they're not generally on stage anymore but it does it kind of have to do with like where they're filming and like how all of that plays out
1: so this is more or less about like the sets like how you choose to portray you know a fictional city a real life city a room that people may be sitting in like furniture Like, a set that could be around... Yes, set design. I'm sorry. I'm blanking right now, but...
0: Well, I should have guessed that from production design. (laughs) It's
1: all good. We're learning.
0: I'll guess tenant for this one based off what you said. Okay.
1: Visuals. I sound like the biggest stan in the whole entire world, but I've got Ma Rainey's Black Bottom for this just because... You sound like a stan. I really do. Well, I really enjoyed that film. Like, not gonna lie. It was one of my favorites of the year. But I really liked you know, how they used natural light versus shadows in the film. And the majority of the film just takes place in a recording studio, which a lot of times, like, I'm not a big fan of movies that take place in one area over one single day. That's not my, my gig at all. But this film really kept my attention in the way that they chose to portray this situation. So I really liked it. I also would not be surprised if Mank took home best production design. I feel
0: like there's definitely just some like all-star titles in here that are nominated for multiple Oscars and really like in contention for most of them too. Yes
1: so Mank I believe is the one that's nominated for the most awards. I believe they've got 10 in all. Wow. So let me double check. Yes 10 nominations are Mank and Followed closely behind is multiple films have six. And the next is like five, which Ma Rainey's Black Bottom has five. So best sound. And this is really interesting because in the past, the Academy Awards have had two different categories for best sound mixing and sound editing. And this yeah. year they chose to just combine the two and just go with sound.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Basically, I feel like the average Oscar viewer is not that that's not one of the more interesting tight or like awards i guess but i'll go with the sound of metal for this one since it's a movie about sound and music <laughs>
1: <laughs> so i've got soul as my like number one on this but i would not be surprised if sound of metal took it just because like it's a movie about music and it literally has the word sound in the title but it's also really interesting because this movie is the one that Riz Ahmed is in and it's about a heavy metal drummer mm-hmm. that starts to lose his hearing yeah, so yeah. you have to tap you have to battle the idea of losing your hearing where your profession is literally Depended based around it. your hearing so I think that's really cool and I'm really I- looking forward to it
0: I have seen soul actually yay that was a great film I can't say I like just based off the type of movie viewer I am, the the sound was not something I, like, really picked up on. But I do think overall it was, like, just such a stellar film. And it really did kind of have, like, those musical elements to it because he's, like, a jazz performer and all that. So also, I, I wouldn't be surprised either.
1: Yeah, exactly. Best original song.
0: Best original song. Let's see. The nominees fight for you, hear my voice, uh scene is the english translation i don't want to butcher that and then speak now let's go hear my voice from the trial of the chicago seven
1: okay so i would not personally be upset if either of these two took it but my picks are between speak now from one night in miami and fight for you from judas and the black messiah speak now was it's very heavily influenced by Sam Cooke because Sam Cooke is a character in One Night in Miami and I as problematic as he probably was in his lifetime I love Sam Cooke I think he was a phenomenal performer and Leslie Odom Jr. did him so much justice in the film but also Fight for You really just it was also at the credits of Judas and the Black Messiah, and it really just got me riled up. Like I was like, I want to go protest in the streets and fight for people that don't have my privilege. You know, it really, it really got me riled up. So I I am fine with either of them taking it home. Best original score.
0: Score is the music. Yes.
1: <laughs> okay, nominees.
0: The five bloods. Yes. Mike,
1: Minari, News of the World and Soul. Okay, I'll go with Soul for this one. I feel like that had some nice music in it. I've got Soul as well. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if News of the World takes it. News of the World was kind of one of those films that I really expected to be um, nominated a lot at the Academy Awards and it kind of just wah, wah, wah. But I have heard great things about its score. So I will will give it the benefit of the doubt. Best animated short film. Animated short
0: films, okay, Burrow genius loci if anything happens i love you opera and yes people if anything happens i love you seems like a very emotional title so i will go with that one so
1: i have watched any if anything happens i love you and it's a short film obviously it's nominated in the category but it's maybe like 12 minutes long and i was sobbing because oh, yeah. the, the movie is about two parents who are grieving the loss of their daughter, who they lose in a school shooting.
0: Oh no, oh gosh.
1: But it is so beautifully done. Mm. And the two guys that made the film actually worked with every town for gun safety um, to get a, like a respectful idea of how to portray this film. And I I thought it was great. And it is the only one I have down, so. Sorry to bring the moon down a little bit, but I really, really hope that if anything happens, I Love You takes home the crown. All right, best live action short film.
0: Feeling Through, The Letter Room, The Present, and Two Distant Strangers and White Eye. Not familiar with any of these, so shot in the dark here. I'll go
1: Two Distant Strangers. So Two Distant Strangers is who I hope to win. Um, it's a film once again about like police brutality. And it's okay. really, really well done. But I would not be mad if the present also took home, or I shouldn't say also, but took it home, because the team behind the present have actually won an Academy Award in the past for a documentary. I don't believe I can't remember if it was for a feature or a short film, but it was the White Helmets. So would not be upset. Best documentary short subject. Best documentary short subject. Let's see. Okay, Colette. A
0: concerto is a conversation. Do not split. Hunger Ward, a love song for Latasha. Hmm. Okay. Um, not familiar with these either. I'll go Hunger Ward, I guess. That's
1: a pretty intense title. So I'll go with that one. Okay, so I've got a love song for Latasha, which is actually about this girl that was murdered in California back in the 90s. Um, And I'm sure you're familiar with the Rodney King riots. Of course. So her death was also part of why those riots broke out because she was buying an orange juice, I believe at this convenience store in her town. Like she, she was a regular of this area. And this woman behind the counter accused her of stealing. And she was like, no, I've got, here's my change right here. And as soon as she turned around, the woman shot her in the back of the head.
0: Oh my goodness. That's awful. It's a very interesting
1: case to look into if you're interested in that kind of stuff. But the people that made this film were also best friends with her, like children growing up. So it was really beautiful to see how they had so many hopes for her and dreams for her and tell her life story not only focusing on this terrible event, but also like the before and how her family has grieved and processed her death going forward. I also have Do Not Split on my short list because it is about the Hong Kong riots uh, that have been going on for the past few years. Really interested in it. It's beautiful. So those are my two. Okay, picks. Thank you. Best Documentary Feature.
0: Best Documentary Feature. Okay, Collective. Crip Camp. The Mole Agent, My Octopus Teacher, and Time. Huh, okay. (laughs) Let's go with My Octopus Teacher. That sounds like fun. It's
1: a really fun film. It's cool. My, uh, one of my bosses at work really loved My Octopus Teacher. Personally, I would really like to see Crip Camp win uh, Mm -hmm. because it's a really interesting look at special needs advocacy. And fun fact, Barack and Michelle Obama were executive producers on it. Woo. So I think it would just be really cool if a former president. Won an Oscar. Um, <laughs> won an Oscar. Not saying that that's the only reason that I back this film up. But if you really like look it up, it's on Netflix. It's a really cool story. Okay. So awesome. Gonna- yeah. Uh, also time has been on like the top 10 list for best films of 2020 on numerous lists it's a wonderful film about this woman who is fighting to get her husband out of jail for an armed robbery sentence and she's just been working it's it's a really interesting look at like how she's gone through this process so i think it might take it home but i wouldn't be upset if crib camp took it best international feature film
0: international feature film I will guess The Collective from Romania.
1: Okay, so I think it's gonna go to another round purely because it's the only international feature film that's nominated in any other category, as far as I can see. And Mads Mikkelsen is in it and he's very popular with American audiences. So I think it has a good chance, but also as we talked about in a previous episode, Derek Zhang worked on Better Days and it is phenomenal. So I would not be upset if Better Days took it home.
0: Best animated feature film. Best animated feature film. I hope Soul is nominated. It is. <laughs> it is. Okay, yeah. Onward, Over the Moon, A Sean the Sheep movie, Soul and Wolfwalkers. Okay, I'll go Soul for this one.
1: I've also got Soul for this one. Our, our friend Hannah is really big into Wolfwalkers and it's beautiful. Don't get me wrong. But I just really connected with the story of Soul. So i'm gonna go with that yeah it was beautiful i agree that's adapted screenplay
0: adapted screenplay
1: i will guess one night in miami one night in miami is what i'm hoping to take home the award however you know nomadland was actually based on a book and a very great book at that so i would not be surprised if they took it home and once again we're rooting for chloe Zhao. i'm personally i'm rooting for anyone asian sorry about it that's just how i feel because all of the works nominated by asian creative directors and whatnot i think they're phenomenal and i think they're great so we out here i'm literally like Issa ray i'm rooting for everybody black i'm rooting for everybody asian let's go <laughs> best original screenplay
0: i will guess judas and the black messiah for this one
1: this category i'd be okay with pretty much anyone winning but i personally would really like to see promising young women take it home however Mm -hmm. would not be mad if minari took it home either because once again it's based off of lee isaac chung's real life Mm -hmm. and it's great I i love stories that are based in reality especially for the people that are making the films all right now we're getting to the big categories are you ready annabelle i think so best supporting actress
0: Best Supporting Actress. So, the nominees are <laughs> Maria Bakalova, Glenn Close, Olivia Coleman, Amanda Seyfried, and Young Jung Yoon. Okay. It sounds like Amanda Seyfried did a phenomenal job in Mank. so I will go with her. That was a,
1: that was a great, great guess. However, I, I will board. be severely upset if mm-hmm. Yunye Jung does not take this because if you look at her track record throughout award season this year she is pretty much swept like there are very few that she um, did not win and for those that had a ranking system when it came to winners she always came runner-up like she was always up there so I'm really hoping for Yun Jung. Best supporting actor.
0: Okay so I remember a couple weeks ago you talked about how it was like they're like Daniel Kaluuya and um Lakeith Stanfell were both nominated for supporting actors even though that's kind of weird because if anything they should both be best best lead actors um but we got them we got Sacha Baron Cohen we got Leslie Odom Jr. and Paul
1: Racy Rossi um
0: I will guess Daniel Kaluuya though he's
1: fabulous I think Daniel Kaluuya is going to take it. However, I wouldn't be upset if Leslie Odom Jr. took it. Like I said previously, his rendition as Sam Cooke was breathtaking. So I'm excited for both of them. Best actress. Okay. Viola
0: Davis, Andra Day, Vanessa Kirby, Frances McDormand, and Carrie Mulligan. Okay. Viola Davis is an amazing actress. I like her a lot, um, but I've heard... I think Carrie Mulligan is solid too. And you said Andre Day is about the only good thing about the United States versus Billie Holiday. I will pick her because I trust you.
1: Okay, cool. All right. So personally, I really would like to see Violet Davis take it. However, I think it's probably gonna go to Francis McDormand because francis like mc norman and put her in any film and you're gonna have like a stellar performance but once again i'd be fine with any of these ladies winning because they're all great performances like i, I hate to do that cop out kind of thing but they're all great <laughs> like you can't sometimes you can't pick. okay best actor riz Am-
0: ahmed excuse me chadwick boseman anthony hopkins gary oldman and stephen yun I will guess Steven Yeun, Yun, but I do think there's a strong possibility, like out of respect that it would go to Chadwick Boseman.
1: So Chadwick is who I have down for this. His performance in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom was phenomenal. It was beautiful. There's actually a scene, like not to spoil anything for anyone who hasn't seen the film, but there's actually a moment in the story where he's talking about a near death experience. And it's a very candid conversation about death and watching it, obviously, after he passed away, it, it brought me to tears and it was just so beautiful. So I really hope he takes it. However, I would not be mad if my husband, Steven Yun takes it. So.
0: I So this one's on Netflix, Mulroney's Black Bottom. So I will add that to my queue. I
1: really liked the film. I really did. Best director.
0: Uh, Chloe Zhao.
1: <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> I mean, you pretty much took words out of my mouth. We weren't for anyone Asian. If it doesn't go to Chloe Zhao, it better go to Lee Isaac Chung. And in third place, Emile Fennell.
0: Promising Young Woman,
1: yes. Y'all know. Y'all already know. And to top it all off, end this baby up, Best Picture.
0: Best Picture. Okay, so the nominees are for this one. I love when you say the nominees are. The nominees are. Yes. (laughs) The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank. Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. Uh, uh, we're gonna go Nomadland here.
1: I also think it's gonna go to Nomadland just because of the track record it's had in the award season. Would mm-hmm. not be mad if Minari took it. Also wouldn't be mad if Judas and the Black Messiah took it, but I think it's a longer shot for them. Same thing with Promising Young Woman. These films are all great, but it, when it comes to like the trajectory of the playing field, that you're in it's it, it's hard to say and the trial of the chicago seven while a great film it did lag in parts but it's made by aaron sorkin and i love me some aaron sorkin so the west wing guy yes baby why do you think i love him so much and he did the american wing. president one of my favorite movies i know you love you love west wing i love West Wing. what's next what's next baby when the president stands nobody's <laughs> sorry it's been a while i need to rewatch watch on hbo max not sponsored hashtag wish it was all right so we're gonna end this baby sorry it was a little longer this week guys but i just really wanted to talk about film because that's what makes me happiest and talking it with my bfff in the whole white world it just makes it even better i wish
0: i knew more about the movies i'm sorry i'll have oh, to I-, I did see that netflix has the netflix oscar collection which
1: yeah, damn well, right they,
0: they do. A little humble brag. They're like, look at, look at us. Look at how fabulous we are. <laughs> Does um, that
1: dirt off your shoulder.
0: I know. So uh, maybe I'll go give that a watch before Sunday. Um, see what yeah. I can yeah. view here. But I uh, I support all of your picks. And Yay. you good show, I think.
1: I really hope so. I'm so excited. Like, I've kind of been taking a break from watching films recently. I've been watching America's Next Top Model reruns, which is one of me and Annabelle's favorite shows. And we I'm were all- rooting for you. We were all, all rooting for you. I watched that episode today, oh season God. four. No, literally, I've been listening to a podcast about them, which is why I started rewatching because I'm like, oh, finally, I get someone who like understands how I feel about Top Model. Maybe in the future, if they do another future season, we'll have to recap because yeah. they're there are talks there's no confirmation but there are talks all right we'll see so, what happened. get excited guys all right you're ready to wrap this up
0: <laughs> let's wrap this up thank you guys for joining us um we know it was a longer episode but since we were off next week we wanted to up our content for you so we hope you enjoyed listening about bernie madoff and coinbase and the met gala and the oscars is an action-packed episode so i'm sure Alyssa will recap the oscars for us next week um yeah and I will be monitoring what happens in the wild, wild
1: west that is the stock market. <laughs> hey, Meg uh, the stallion.
0: <laughs> so, thank you all for listening. We will be back next week. Uh, everyone, have a good week.
1: Yay!